a Highline podcast. No normal people. my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Dixie Lee Henning. And I'm your host, Stephen Henning. I've tricked you. What's the next line? I got the zag on you. What's it? And this is a show where we prove that the more you get to know normal people, you discover that there really are no normal people. (laughs) Close enough. It's like 95%. You 95% more than nailed I know any other day of the week. That's absolutely true. And I think that's like the second time ever that you've gotten the switcheroo on me. Yeah, got the zag on him. That was very fun. I zigged your zag. Yeah. Welcome to sure did. the Terror Dome. Welcome to the show, friends. <laughs> I have to say friends because I'm used to saying No, it. they're my friends. And they're my no, friends. No, they're mine. They told me. They messaged me last night. Really? And they said, we're only your friends. They slid in the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, Steven is all right. Fortunately, if they DM no people pod on Instagram or Twitter, they're talking to me. I'm though. still logged into that account. On That's my true. Phone, so. Well, you want to help out a little bit? Nope. Or? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. Before we risk belaboring our personal lives. And talking about ourselves too much in the intro, like I did Steven. last time. We'll talk about it in the outro, shall Let's we? Let's talk about me this time. No, I think we should just go straight to our Yeah, guest you're this right. Week. Let's never talk about me. That is not That's what I not said. That's what you said. Hurtful. Okay. <laughs> Do you actually feel that way? No. Okay, good. But I wanted to talk about the pit at the Kelly Clarkson concert. That, and you just this is very funny. went right over it. All right. Melissa Kircher <laughs> is on the podcast today. She and I bumped into each other more or less on Twitter. And I was like, oh, hey, I think you're cool. Do you want to be on the show? technically bumped into each other. Technically? Be- te- because internet. How's that? Because you bumped into her on Twitter. You technically bumped into her. Oh, you're stressing the technically part because it's like a tech company? Yeah. Okay. You technically bumped Sorry. into her. Wow. That was a lot for you. That took my brain <laughs> a second to get there. Yes, we found each other on Twitter. She has some fantastic Enneagram content at Enneagram Paths on Instagram and Twitter. So I invited her because she was looking for shows kind of like this one, like No Normal People, I yeah. guess. Is there any other show like this? Um, Don't answer that. I think the one that popped up in the replies to her was uh, (laughs) Dr. Hillary McBride's podcast, Other People's Problems. I told you not to answer. Which was a fantastic. It's okay. We talk about (laughs) Hillary McBride in the episode. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. (laughs) Melissa is such a delightful person. I so enjoyed getting to know a complete stranger. That's what this show represents to us. You're Sometimes it's complete that, like, strangers like to it's us. Not, it, like it's the first time that that's happened. It's so fun. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We get to hear about Melissa's journey through the foster care system in Connecticut and getting to adopt her son. 
Uh, we do Enneagram deep dive and get basically half a free coaching session out of her. Yep. Uh, we get See, to talk is, about your eightness and my oneness. This is a good. So I'm not saying everyone should start a pat- podcast because not everyone should start a podcast. But if you want to get free therapy, this is a great way to do it. I don't think this counts as therapy, <laughs> and I think she would she would be the That's first person fine. to tell you that. Yeah, no, I get it. Coaching like, though, I, come you, on, you know what I'm saying though. It's so good. You know what I'm saying though. Some fantastic enneagram chats. We also talk about all the writing she's done in her life. She's written two books of a trilogy. She's working on the third one right now. Um, she has written another novel called Dream On because she was also telling us that she like dreams the stories she writes mm-hmm. before she writes them. And she also wrote a fantastic book called The Endless Story. And it's about how to talk about life and death with kids. Mm-hmm. What a delightful time. Shall we just get straight to it then? Jump on in. The water's tepid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not though it's not no it's fine <laughs> i just didn't want to say it's fine <laughs> tepid was the first word that right. came to my brain choose a different adjective <laughs> jump on in the water is wet water is not wet steven okay we can't do this right now <laughs> let's go to the uh, interview jump in <laughs> All right. Melissa Kircher, welcome to No Normal People. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. We are going to get started with some rapid fire questions. These are either or just from the gut answers. We'll start with East Coast or West Coast? East. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Beaches or mountains? Beaches every time. City or country? I like to be in a place where I can access both. Oh, excellent. I <laughs> it's like, like that. suburbia, yeah. whereas the city is close by and <laughs> Drive I 10 can also... miles left. Exactly. Tea or coffee? Oh, in this season, tea. Homebody or free spirit? Both. Spender or saver? Saver. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Books or movies? Oh, both. Yeah, both. That, that's a really emphatically. Mean choice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, in no way could I ever choose. Yeah, I won't make you. Then. Okay, depends on won't. the book or movie. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah, it really does. I appreciate that. And sometimes, like with Harry Potter, both fully. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, introvert or extrovert? Um, I lean towards introvert, but can be extrovert mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. I have uh, taken to describing myself as an up to six people extrovert. Okay. Um, in that I feel like in small groups, I get a lot of energy from hanging around people. But if the group becomes any larger than that, I'm full blown introvert. Yeah. Yeah, I lose all sorts of energy in those kind of situations. I'm more like catch me in the right mood. (laughs) (laughs) I can be extroverted up to like a certain point and then I will literally turn off and I will leave. Right. And Steven knows this intimately. Yeah. (laughs) I think 
think it's more about like <laughs> like cycles yeah. instead of even like a spectrum of where you fall. Like yeah. my husband was saying the other day, oh, you know, extroverted, introverted. And I was like, yeah, I just have a different introvert, extrovert cycle. You can be extroverted for longer. Wow. I can be extroverted for a short amount of time and then I need like two days to recover. <laughs> I got so like it's just 20 a minutes cycle. and then I literally said to yeah. my friend after we went out, uh, to dinner I was like okay I will talk to you in like two weeks wow yeah <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I need more, I need some time off that's, a, like me. that's an interesting way to think of it because I I've I've come to think of the the spectrum as like do you feel like you are plugged into by other people and you lose energy like it's an energy question so like extroversion to me is is less of a question of like how shy are you or how gregarious yeah. are you you know yeah and that's the thing it's usually that's what I was taught and I would say, oh, 100. I mean, in Myers-Briggs, I always scored 100% on introvert. But yet, if I'm in a mood or I'm with the right people, right. I will get so much juice from being with those people. Man. I just need longer to recover afterwards. Yeah. So Ooh. it's, you know, a little bit of, of both. Things. I like that. I like describing the cycle. And it's more about the recovery time. Mm. I appreciate that. Yeah, Sometimes you need a literal year before you can see that person again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Some people do that to you. Yeah. Uh, so moving on uh, to some more open-ended icebreakers. These aren't either or questions. Okay. What is a smell that takes you back to a good memory in your childhood? Mm, cut grass. I loved um, the smell. We had a, an acre of land and my dad would mow it. And I just remember that smell being very calming and comforting. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. great. What was your first job? Oh, okay. So this is an East Coast thing. More Southern East Coast. But we have things called snowballs, which are different than where I live in New England, which sometimes you can find very hard, dense things called snow cones mm-hmm. where they're like mm. actual almost feels like a block of ice that they put like three flavors on and that's it. But in Maryland, we have this thing called snowballs where it's shaved ice right? and you can do all different kinds of flavors. And my first job was when I was 14, my mom got me a job as the ice shaver girl. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the shy little uh, dork in the back with the ice and block. Turn this ice block. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> but I did get free snowballs. So that's, that's yeah. the only reason why you could you ask for at more all at that point when uh, you're 14. Yeah. I got free yeah. junior bacon cheeseburgers at Wendy's oh, when I, I was 14. So. Yeah, <laughs> there were some positives and negatives, and you know that's sort of your first job. Is yeah. that's how it is. It's yeah. all <laughs> you work one day a week and make I know. two yeah. dollars. It's all it's all part of it, of course. Yeah. Have you ever feared for your life? Yes. A couple of years ago, up here we had it was called a 700 year storm, although now global warning, we've had a couple more. Yeah. But I've heard I was of this. Yeah, it was this weird storm in which it was like flooding kind of rains and I was home with my kids. So that one happened and my basement flooded. So they had to gut my basement. And then a couple days after that storm, there were weird weather patterns and they had tornadoes come through and we had a tornado. So I'm sitting in like a gutted out basement. And I know I don't live, you know, tornado alley. They probably deal with it all the time, but it was pretty terrifying to have a tornado come through. And thankfully, 
you know, sitting on like nails, you know, where like they had ripped up the basement and we don't have like a basement that we didn't have a basementy basement. So it wasn't a lot of protection if something happened. So that was kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I grew up in Iowa. So the tornado alley. Yeah. That brings up all sorts of memories. There much more. So yeah. Melissa, do you like being surprised? My ego says yes, but the real answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> like to be in control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. What are foods you will never eat? Um, coleslaw. Coleslaw. Correct. Just the concept of coleslaw. <laughs> no, I had to eat it till I was 13 years old because that yeah. was the rule in our house is mm. you have to eat what you are given until you're 13. Wow. And I would like throw up at the table. Oh. And still have to finish it. So it's sort of my kryptonite. All right. It's coleslaw. Yeah, we'll give that one to you. That's that's just fine. I really love food, but that that one is just not that. Coleslaw just can't (laughs) do it. Mayonnaise based salads. I like mayonnaise (laughs) and I like like tuna salad. I think it's the cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. Cabbage carrot mayonnaise. Concoction. It did not sit well with me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Oh, so many. Um, (laughs) Jankos. Do you know what that is? (laughs) (laughs) So I was. I could feel it in my soul before you said your answer. I knew it was going to be that. (laughs) Really? That's so funny. (laughs) It's coming back. Maybe not that brand. I don't know. I'm not cool enough to know if the brand is, but. The wide legged, oh god, with the with the hammer. Yeah, there was like a loop on the back that, like, yeah. I think was for hammers. But yeah, I wore those. That's a good choice. Um, yeah. What would you say is your biggest pet peeve? Um, slamming doors. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I really don't enjoy it when you slam a door. Yeah, there's no need. Right, there's no need. <laughs> Calm down. No need. That's like, great. But, like, not if you're mad. If you're mad, that's fine. It's sure. more just in and out of the slamming of the doors, like going in the house or out of the right. house. Like you I, know just, how hard this door closes. Like take yeah, a you do it every day. Focus just and just like close it like a normal <laughs> meat person. I exactly right. agree. Yeah. That's great. Um, do you have what you consider a favorite failure of yours? Maybe something that taught you a lesson that has stuck with you or, uh, yeah, like set you up for future success? Um, I mean, all of parenting, (laughs) it's like being a parent is sort of my favorite failure because my little people in particular that are sort of like middling, they're like big kids now are firecrackers and have been able to ferret out every possible childhood Mm. (laughs) wound Mm. and ego pattern and, and bring it to the surface. And I can either choose to ignore it and be a terrible parent or go, wow, I need to get my butt back into counseling and figure that out. (laughs) So yeah, they've, that was unintentional. I had no idea that that's what they would bring to the table, but I fail constantly. I mean, even I think learning to say I'm sorry because I just make mistakes Mm. and I was not Mm. taught to say I'm sorry. Like parents in my generation don't say you're sorry. So 
the reconnection that happens when you say you're sorry to a kid because you've done something wrong mm-hmm. is like a failure that happens on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that I always thought I was so terrible until I had like, you know, my my people reassure me that like that's actually really great parenting saying sorry. So Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it closes that gap so quickly. It does. From any sense of like separation. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I like that answer a lot. I'm a failure all the time. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, for the icebreakers here, when you were little, what did you tell people you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, a marine biologist and an artist. So I did one of those things. I like that. <laughs> Wouldn't the crazy twist be if you were a marine biologist? I know, right? I, I still... feel like I heard that a lot. I think yeah, it falls lower on the list, I think, to like astronaut. Or something like that, but oh, that was never in my. But I can see that. I can see a lot of kids wanting to be astronauts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very aspirational. Like, yeah, the idea of being a marine biologist and being like, I'm learning about things we don't know about. It's pretty big. Ocean. I like that. Yeah. I went really middle of the road when I was little. Instead of going to space, I just wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Yeah. And instead oh. of going like in the ocean, I want like geologists. Like I'll look at rocks. Right, <laughs> but I, I think those are deeper. so cool. <laughs> you were like, surface I don't want to go surf. I'll stay surface level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love That's it. it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh my god! I, I think I responded to that really well because both of those feel way safer. Yeah, than marine biologist or astronaut. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, as an adult, that seems more reasonable. Yeah. Very secure. Very safe. <laughs> it seems more yeah. doable. Yes. Not endangering. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Melissa, thank you so much again for being on the show. So we will kind of start at the beginning. This is what we like to do on this podcast. I'll ask, uh, where did you grow up and what was your family like growing up with as much or as little detail as you prefer? Yeah. I grew up in Maryland, in Ellicott City, Maryland, which most people don't know. And then we moved to Sykesville, Maryland, which most people also don't know. So I like to say it's like near Baltimore and Annapolis and DC is like kind of around all of those places. Yeah. That's okay. Cool. So I got to go and do things in all of those cities, which was nice. Yeah. Where I grew up in terms of geographical location, there's not much to it. <laughs> like we're just south of the Mason Dixon. We had strip malls and oh, crabs. We have crabs. So. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like the food. That's like um, Stephen and I describing where we we used to live. It's like we have trains and a refinery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it. kind of like we got Walmart and you, you can catch some crabs and, and eat them. Yeah. So it's a fine place, not knocking anything. And I grew up, I grew up with my mom and my dad and I have a younger brother. And... My mom is a teacher and my dad was a, an engineer. He worked for Northrop Grumman and Westinghouse. Hmm. Wow. And he sold AWAC radars to other countries. Wow. So he would travel, not too much, but he, he would travel and we'd have, sometimes we'd have, like I remember one time we had a German general come to dinner what? kind of a thing. So yeah, it was weird. <laughs> but you know, I was a kid, so I didn't really understand what was happening. <laughs> You're like, this guy is here and he talks right. weird. 
Yeah. I remember he asked me to show him my new kids on the block trading cards. Oh my gosh. That's how old I am. Wow. <laughs> and you were like so into it. I was. I showed him all of them. <laughs> oh gosh. That's hilarious. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah. did you do most of your growing up in this area of Maryland, like all the way through high school? All the way through high school. I moved when I was 18. And oh. I never went back. Fantastic. <laughs> what kind yeah. of person were you in high school? These are always some fun stories. Uh, like extracurriculars <sighs> you were involved in or or not involved in, I guess. Yeah. I was not homeschooled. However, <laughs> Your mom is a teacher. That would make sense. My mom is a teacher. <laughs> and she taught at a private Christian school. And so oh, I yeah. went to public elementary school. And then I got to go to there's a college prep school for middle school and high school. And I didn't have her until I was in high school because she's an algebra teacher and she did some <laughs> recalculus. Right. And I'm an artsy fartsy person, so that went over so, so well. <laughs> um, she just Mom, our brains don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> they don't get each other. That is so so yeah, I went to a Christian college prep school and my mom's there and uh, I was pretty nerdy. So this is how I describe myself. This is my pattern. I have a pattern. It, it's even happened into adulthood. I will start out at a stage and I'll be friends with all the cool kids. Right. But I'm the least cool of all the cool kids. Uh -oh. You're like the median. I think I just sort of <laughs> blend well because I'm quiet. Yeah. And then it would start to happen that the cool kids would like allow me to be there, but pick on me a little bit. Aww. And there's some sort of inner rebel that would always be like, screw this and <laughs> go then and be friends with the kind of more nerdy kids. Right. And so that happened in preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, whole thing. Wow. But in high school, I was more tolerated by all of the cool kids. So I just sort of like was definitely nerdy, definitely weird um, very quiet. I did track and I was a cheerleader for a hot minute. And, <laughs> and I was friends with a couple of the, of the guys that were cool. And, right. and, um, but the, but the cool girls left me alone. They were nice to me. They didn't bother me, but fully nerd. <laughs> right. If that makes any sense. Fully nerd. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. I think that lines up pretty well with Dixie and I, we were like speech, drama, debate and choir and band and yeah. musicals. And yes. Yeah. I feel like you you kind of sound like the middle ground, like you're the bridge between the, because this is definitely what Steven and I were in high school, but like you're kind of the bridge between like the super crazy nerdy weird kids and the cool kids. And like the cool kids know the super nerdy kids because they know you. My school wasn't big enough to have that much a divide. It was very <laughs> much one or the other. Right. Nice. I think I was yeah. just more tolerated mm. Mm. like I remember I remember in like eighth grade one of the cool kids the really cool popular kids asking me why did you go and sit at the other table like the other table Whoa. oh my gosh you know so it was I, I wasn't necessarily a, a bridge I think I was just definitely in the other camp but nobody <laughs> Made fun of me or when they noticed me. you, oh. it was because you weren't sitting at their table. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, I was the kid and in I, middle school good. starting yes. food fights. So, oh, that's awesome. Go yeah. you. There you go. So you move out 
at 18, is that going to college after high school? That was going to college. And also my family life was not the best. Mm, Um, And so it was then in the summers, figuring out an apartment, a job, a place to live every summer so that I did not have to move back home. So um, living off that uh, uh, ice shaving job. No, (laughs) if only. (laughs) I've had so many jobs. Oh my gosh. Very sustainable work. Ice ice shaving. So where did you go to college and what did you study? Um, I went to Gordon College. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have. Yeah. Okay. Is it a Christian school? Yes. It's a small (laughs) Christian liberal arts college in New England. It's up near the North Shore of Boston. I loved the location and I actually had a really good experience there. Honestly, I liked that it was a small school. It was really good for me, Mm. like not being really overwhelmed. And I started out as an English major because my parents said, you're not allowed to be an art major because you'll never make a living. So at least you can teach. And so I did that for like a half a semester and I hated it. (laughs) And so (laughs) then again, I rebelled. You didn't want to get a degree in a language you already knew? I I didn't want to pick (laughs) apart poetry. That was like, that was my, I was done. Yeah. I was done in poetry. I was like, no, (laughs) it's poetry. You leave it alone. It's art. Just like stop. Yeah. Right. So I'm a, I have a degree in fine arts. Not art. Right. Fine arts. Fine arts. (laughs) Well, because there was a distinction. So I minored in, um, this is also how old I am. Graphic design was starting to just be a thing. Oh, yeah. And my professor, actually, he is the one, he's in the MoMA now. He d- he redesigned the um, handicapped symbol. Oh, wow. He's the one that did that. So he started a graphic design program and a company at my school called Return Design. Wow. That if there had been a minor at that time, that's what I would have had like a minor in mm, because right. I did all of the graphic design stuff. And then it turns out I hate computers, so I shouldn't do anything with it. <laughs> yeah, but I liked that, it for a that's while. Fair. Oh man, I love that. So may I ask, is it in college where you ended up meeting who would become your husband one day? <laughs> yeah, of course. I went to Christian college. Like, of course. That's what we <laughs> do, do you, in Christian college? That's what you do. You lock it down. <laughs> <laughs> that's why Brigham Young University in Idaho oh. is called BYU I Do. Yes. Well, we had Ring the Bell by Spring. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's great. I love all these that's slogans. very good. There was a big bell, and if you got engaged, you got to ring it. Oh. And I rang that bell Heck at yeah, 21 years old. Oh. Yeah, I got married at 22, engaged at 21. Fantastic. And I've been married for however long, 17 years? <laughs> Many yeah, moons. We're babies. Post babies that's yeah Stephen was 20 when we got married Mm -hmm. wow yeah wow you beat me by a lot (laughs) i mean i was 23 so (laughs) yeah we that's awesome (laughs) we had started dating when we met in high school i was a freshman and she was a junior wow that's really kind of cool yeah it's it's very i know that people say that to me and i'm like yeah but you don't know so i'm saying that but you're probably like yeah you don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah we had our moments for sure but yeah yeah that's cool wow yeah so end up meeting your husband in college what so you were engaged like before you graduated is that yes we were engaged before we graduated but my dad i mean as 
a it was wise said if you get married before you graduate, then you're on your own for paying for the rest of college. Oh, yeah. So I wisely was like, I can, we can wait till that's done. Yeah. That's essentially what happened with us. But we just decided to, to just quit stop school college. and get married. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> you know, you do what you got to do. Yep. Whatever feels right. Man, I, I, I hesitate to ask for any like, tell me about the story between then and now, because that is so much. <laughs> um, so I suppose we could start talking about some of the things we had emailed about previously and kind of just half kind of slide into our passions question. Yeah. Kind of like how we got to these specific things. Yeah. Sure. Right. I'm wondering if I can just stay on the theme of family and you could tell us your experience and your story of being a foster parent and the adoption process and kind of how your family makeup has crafted itself. Sure. Well, back when we were young and thought everything, you could just decide things and life would happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, I mean, we t- we got married young, so we were like, okay, we're not going to have kids for a while. Being like a mom was not my like sole purpose in life. Right. So I wanted to work a little bit and I wanted to do some things. And I think we were like 25 or 26. I can't remember exactly, but tried to have kids and it didn't happen and didn't happen and didn't happen. And so then we went down the whole fertility rabbit hole and ended up, I think it took like five years. I think we did five years of infertility. Um, Yeah. The whole gamut from medicine down to IVF. And I was basically told by doctors, like you could keep doing IVF and maybe it'll happen. And at that point, my body was kind of done. And also, um, Connecticut covers a certain number of IVFs, which is amazing. Oh, wow, really? And so, I'm so grateful for that. But we couldn't afford it after the state benefits ran out. Yeah. Right. So I was like, I'm good. And I was driving down a highway, I think in Hartford. And there was a big billboard and it said, you don't have to be a perfect parent to be a parent. And it was like a, a banner for foster care. Mm. And I thought, oh, my husband's never going to go for that. Like my husband's name is Jake. And I was like, Jake's never going to go for that. He really wanted he wanted to feel the baseball team was like his dream. <laughs> and so I was like, no, he really wants to have his own kids. Like I don't think that, like biological kids. Mm. And so I didn't bring it up. But then that night he came home for dinner and he worked at a church back then and also worked for the town that we were living in. So he did both jobs. And so one of his coworkers, he was like, oh, I was just talking with one of my coworkers and he and his partner are fostering these two little boys and Mm. telling me all about it. He was like, would you ever consider like foster care, like foster to adopt? And I was like, oddly, dude, I just saw a billboard about that today. Yeah. Um, wow. So we kind of took it as like a sign from God, universe, whatever you want to call it, to go down that route. Little did we know, you don't just adopt out of foster care. You actually have to foster first, yeah. mm-hmm. right? which they don't tell you to like meeting three. <laughs> <laughs> they get you in and then they tell you, oh, this is really how it works. So we did, we got licensed. It took a full year to be licensed. 
and we got our license on the last day of the of the calendar wow. year. They they take their time, <laughs> and then we had said we would be up open to kids up to I think four, right? And again, you're told in foster care you're you're not going to get like babies, like that just right. doesn't happen. But we were two young, married, employed people with a a room, you know, versus some of the other people. They're interesting people that do foster care. Yeah. I'll just say that nicely and gently. Right. And so we started getting calls right away. And the first call we said no to because it was a sibling group of way older and we just right. didn't feel able to handle that. It was like, I think a 10-year-old and 11-year-old. Oh, so they wow. foster the DCF, they don't care. You write, you know, what your preferences are and they They'll just call, call you. About they don't look yeah. at it. They just, yeah. yeah. And then we got a couple of calls about babies. And so what happens is you get a call and you either say yes or no. And then they do what's called a teaming Mm -hmm. where they get all of the lawyers, social workers, caseworkers, everybody that's involved with this child's uh, situation in a room. And they like as a team decide who are the people that said yes and who are we going to choose out of that pool of people to be the foster parents. So we got teamed a couple of times and were never picked. And then I remember we were waiting to hear about a little boy that had been born and we didn't get picked for him. And I remember just like, I don't know, sending up this little prayer manifestation, whatever you want to call it. Just like, could we get a call tomorrow for another little boy? Right. And the phone rang the next morning and I just had this like full body energetic sensation mm. of knowing. I came downstairs and I oh. said, Jake, like our social worker called and I was like, this is our, this is it. This is our kid, which you don't know because, you know, and right. then, so our son was fast tracked in the foster world. Mm-hmm. So it took from when he was born 17 months for him to be adopted. And that is incredibly fast. Wow. That is wow in foster wow. kind of world. Yeah. Um, that is because amazing. he is number eight of eight children, all had been taken away from birth mom. Wow. And she was in jail with him while she was um, pregnant with him. So that's why he, they didn't have to go find her. You know, it it was like he was, you know, they moved her from the jail to the maternity ward and he was born and we got him at a week old. They kept him in the hospital. And then he had, we had all of the craziness that happens. It was a roller coaster because they, you know, they have all these rules, the social workers, they have to follow. And reunification is always the first goal, even with number eight, right? Mm -hmm. So visitation with mom and dad and them coming in and out of the picture and court being delayed and no shows. And it was just a very tumultuous, uh, tumultuous ride. Mm. And in the middle of that, I got pregnant. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was wow. like, um, I, my son was eight months old, still, still foster. And then I was like, Hey, guess what? We're pregnant. <laughs> so right. we had like instant family. Right. Um, yeah, he was adopted the month after she was born. Wow. Wow. That's insane. Wow. It was insane. It's insane seeing like the progress through the foster to adopt situation, you know? 
it is a necessary system and it is also so broken. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. kudos to anybody who who does it. Yeah. Because it's hard. Yeah. So Dixie and I find ourselves in the middle of the licensing process right mm-hmm. now. Wow. Go you. We yeah. are it's we're doing just the tribal mountains of, licensing because right. we live in uh indigenous area. Okay. So like we're getting tribal license done and we're getting like the state. regular state licensing done and yeah it's the mountain of paperwork right now oh my gosh that we're just kind of swimming in <laughs> um that you guys are doing yeah yeah oh i don't remember a lot of paperwork but i could have just honestly forgotten it's been a decade so <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sorry that's a lot yeah so this this is an opportunity for us i feel like to ask a few questions just as someone who's gone through a the licensing process and then it just like I, I feel like you've had a flavor for pretty much every scenario we can kind of predict, you know, like having mm-hmm. to say no to a call. Getting mm-hmm. said no to. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And all of those things. I guess just starting from the beginning, like, would you be able to name some things that you wish you would have known about the process when you were first starting out yourself? Yes. Um, if you get a child in which skin to skin is doable. Mm -hmm. Like they're, even if they're like a toddler, any kind of skin on skin contact Mm. is extremely helpful. Yeah. Right. I didn't, I had not had a kid, so I knew nothing about skin to skin. And then I was more protecting my heart when he was little. And so I was kind of offish with him at the beginning Um, because I didn't know if he'd be taken away at any moment. And so if I could go back, I would not only be as physical in a loving kind of way, like, like cuddling and other things that you think are sort of natural, but when you have a baby that you don't know or a child, you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There can be, I've, I've talked to other foster parents, some kind of, my husband was like all in, you know, like we're going (laughs) to get this, you know? And so- but I just didn't even think about because of like the whole foster piece and me not being mom, you know, the fact that I could have done skin touching, which is really important for brain development. Another thing is in any kind of visitation that happens, um, it's really disruptive to brain development visitation at any age. If they're younger to send things with them, because usually it all depends on circumstance. So every single placement is completely different. If you had 20, like if you were foster parents and you had 20 different placements, they would each be completely different. So I can't speak to like general things, but things like in terms of every child needs something that smells like you or smells like where you are is really helpful because then they can have something that's continuous through something that's disruptive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like they, people would show up, sometimes a social worker wouldn't even show up. Sometimes a driver would just show up and I wasn't allowed to use my car seat. I'd have to put him in the driver's car seat with a stranger and he'd be driven like three hours away to a rehab facility. And so for, and I didn't know all of this stuff about brain development back then. And now I know how disruptive it is to a child's developing brain to have that level of disruption. And I would have taken one of my shirts and made sure to put it in the, the car seat with him or like mm. stuff like that, that helps to stabilize a, a, a situation which you're not in control of. So anything that you can 
do to stabilize is really helpful. In the same manner, it depends on how old you get. There's a new therapy kind of system that's emerging and a new diagnostic thing that's going to be like the next ADHD that that is coming (laughs) out of foster care. Oh, yeah. Of um, disassociative disorder. Right. Mm. And it's kind of on the cusp of psychology changing the way they looked at that. And basically, it's like people are traumatized and we all have parts inside of us. And so different parts take over. But with children that are traumatized over and over and over again, certain parts can seem to fully take over Mm -hmm. and almost be different identities when they're not. Absolutely. And so IFS therapy, which is internal family systems. I would ask social workers or I would even just get books now and read up about that for yourself Mm -hmm. for as soon as that child is able to verbalize in any way Mm. to have that language of, you know, is this the angry part of you talking, you know, and do you think that like the angry part could calm down? Can I ask like maybe a calm part what they need right now and being able to help your child move through parts as early as possible because like right now my son is 10 and some of these older foster kids, they're having like psychic breakdowns because we were never taught all of this stuff and Mm. we're having to like learn it on the fly. So if I can say do all of that therapy yourself now and and use it in your like daily language, yeah, those would be my three main things. You're listening to our episode with Melissa Kircher, and we'll be right back. Do you like water? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Do you like water-based beverages? That's most. That predominantly most beverages. I think that's all, actually. Nah, I don't think there's... There's water in milk. Don't No, I wasn't thinking of that. (laughs) No, well... Babe, your body is 70% water. Okay, so... And you can't drink that. In that case, I'm... 70% 70% cucumber. I'm 70% Steven. beverage. <laughs> I'm a tall dr- I'm a short I'm a short cup of lukewarm milk. Can I ask you something? Jump on in. <laughs> if I weighed 99 pounds uh-huh. and I drink You'd a, only have one problem. If I drink a pound of coffee, <laughs> then I would be 1% coffee. No. Yeah. It's incorrect. Well, by mass and weight, probably <laughs> not mass. Don't it's, it's by weight. You don't typically. Wowzers! This measure. is the longest <laughs> intro we've ever had for the Highline Coffee Blend. Anyway, friends. what I was getting to was that coffee is good, and we have some, some, so maybe buy it. That is very true. We have partnered <laughs> with our favorite roaster that we have ever met, Revel Roasting, here mm-hmm. in Billings, Montana, and we make the Highline Coffee Blend. You know what's amazing about this is it's that coffee and it's delicious. You submit the order on highline.network/shop. I submit the order to the roaster. That coffee is roasted. He's roasting it. He's like, "Oh, Derek wants some coffee." You are not I'm making this just for Derek. Correct. Yeah. You are not getting any coffee that's been sitting on a shelf for months. Yeah, the coffee that he made for Stephanie a week ago is not going to be the same coffee that Derek gets. It's the same blend, to be specific, but different beans. Really happy you get your you're own. explaining the <laughs> details of this. You get your own beans, guys. Yeah. <laughs> How fulfillment Thank you. works. 
Um, yes, Dixie is very helpful in I explaining how my economics class. If you order a bag of coffee from the Highline Network shop today, that coffee is roasted and put in the mail today, and you get the freshest coffee possible. And you'll get one percent off if your name is Derek. That's not a. I'm kidding. That's, that's not, not a true. discount I can that's offer. Not, I know. I'm sorry, that's not Derek's. True. Sorry, Derek's. No normal Derek's coming soon. <laughs> No Normal People is a proud founding member of the Highline Media Network, along other founding shows like The Whiskey Bench and Ravel. And today, we're delighted to share a teaser from our friends over at Keller's Couch. But um, I think that putting yourself in those in those places where the outcome is unknown it really fosters a whole different kind of creativity yeah because it you know it forces you to use a different part of your brain which is awesome yeah you know the, the complacency you know can breed a lot of contempt and in, yeah. in, and in a creative outlet especially like music um you know when you're resting on your laurels it's very hard for you to progress or feel like you're able to progress and mm -hmm. You know, pushing yourself in a different direction or, or, you know, you know, it just makes you think differently, even if you don't adapt to it right away. Totally. I mean, not to detract from what you're talking about, but like I just got diagnosed with ADHD just a few months mm -hmm. ago. And I was telling Stephen the other day, like how much I wish that my parents had like noticed these things. Yeah. When I was younger, because it would have made things so much easier when I was younger. Like my mom will always think that I'm lazy and messy. But like looking back at those things that I did when I was younger, like it is 100 percent because of the ADHD. It was my executive dysfunction and like disassociating and yes. all of these things. And like if I had the language for that when I was younger, like if I was on medicine and all of that, like my life now would be so different. Um, yeah. And like getting that, like I never thought about like the disassociative part of like taking care of children before specifically through foster care. But like knowing that about my own brain as an almost 30 year old, I, I can see it so clearly now. And like a hundred percent, I will find all of the books on IFS. <laughs> I will read all of them. <laughs> you know, you just need like two. Once you read two, you're good. You don't need okay, to read fine, all. Okay, just two, just two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks That's for sharing that about ADHD as well because, I mean, a lot of foster kids also have that. So you actually yeah. having that now and knowing and having the language for, you know, your just brain works a little bit differently and needs different things to support yeah. How you work. Like, I think that'll make you so set up well to right. be able to pay attention to whatever child you. Right. And just knowing have. like why I feel the way I feel and or mm. why I'm doing things the way that I do things. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to just understand like your your own mental, like your cognitive thought process. Mm. Um, yeah. And it'll help you actually like communicate that with others. Cause before I literally never had any way of communicating it. And I described some things earlier this week to Steven as like, I, my tasks are a fork. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and like that made sense. And it was it was it made it possible for me to be like, do you see what I'm seeing? You know, and it, it's all about finding language. Yeah. To like meet each other. Yeah. And be able to communicate effectively. Yeah. Communicate this well. Is, yeah. Be heard. This is also why we're going to take ASL lessons, too. So like. We mm-hmm. can communicate before even kids have the ability to like verbally communicate. That's smart. I think that's great. Yeah. So they feel like they can be safe with you. Yeah. Yeah. Preverbal. Because preverbal is so much of development as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. I could talk about this forever. Yeah. This but- is. <laughs> <laughs> can I wait? Since you said books, I'm, yeah. I'm a five, right? Yeah. So I'm an Enneagram five. I, I always have books. Can I recommend a book? Absolutely. Please do. It's called Growing Yourself Back Up. That's Ooh. a great title. I think it's John John Lee. I would highly recommend any parent, foster parent, human, but especially if you're going into like raising tiny humans. Yeah. It is so helpful for exactly what you were sort of describing in terms of being able to have language for what's going on inside of you and then how that comes externally outward in order to like have somebody else understand you and meet your needs. Yeah, also, like yeah. this book, I read it and I was like, it's also very thin and it feels like a warm hug. <laughs> like, I, I would so recommend it. That's a good um, book that can achieve that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I think another thing which might get us into another topic, understanding how I feel things as a person with ADHD and then also simultaneously as an Enneagram eight, being able to communicate like where I'm feeling things instead of like Mm. the exact feeling has been way more helpful than being like, I'm angry because there's so much more to anger than just like being angry. Like where am I feeling this anger? Because like it could be in my chest, it could be in my head, it could be in my arms, like being able to communicate that kind of stuff I think is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally Especially agree. with with kids. Yeah. If if there's been any tool that has helped you and I find common ground between each other, it's been the Enneagram. So absolutely, absolutely a perfect segue, <laughs> my dear. <laughs> Melissa, how does someone become an Enneagram coach? I want to know your like education process, or like, are you certified? Is that something yes. you can be in Enneagram? Absolutely. Yes, and it's becoming more and more the norm to be certified, which I think is good. Um, some people might say that, you know, schooling costs go up and up and up as that happens. So it's, it's an evolving thing in coaching. Yeah. Right. Yes. I am Enneagram certified. I'm also IAC certified, which is the international association of coaching. Nice. Oh, excellent. Okay. There are two main ones. Um, I think the other one is Inter- international federation of coaching and I'm the other one. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Is that so the the second certification, the the coaching, coaching one? one, is that yes. like specific to personality coaching or like is it well, like is it only Enneagram or so the way more? yeah, it's kind of both. I fell into coaching. It sort of <laughs> happened to me. I'm really not into personality systems and right. like I would take the Myers Briggs and get a hundred percent on, on, uh, introvert and 50% on everything else. And be like, this is stupid. Like this, walk away. This didn't help. <laughs> it's not helping me. Like, thank you. Yeah. Um, so my husband got really into the Enneagram and was trying to like talk me into it many moons ago. Yeah. And I was like, not interested dude. So he left a book out on a table <laughs> on vacation and that was 
That was That's, planned. That, I don't think he did it. Maybe his unconscious did it. But like, right. of course, I'm going to read that book cover He's to cover. He's like, I'm just like, going to leave this here. Yeah. For no reason. So I read it and I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> and I got really into it, which is a very five thing. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I wanted to go to school because that's also what we do. We like yeah. learned about something like, oh, got to go to school about it. And <laughs> it just so happened – that's exactly for everything, for That's all the things. Hilarious. And if we could stay in school indefinitely, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to start <laughs> saying that. So I went to school and it, I had littles at that time. That was in the instant family phase where mm-hmm. they were both in diapers. Yeah. And I had to find a program that was distance learning and that I could do at my own pace. And it just so happened that I found this program in Israel that was a dual Enneagram and life coaching certification. So they were accredited through the IAC. I could afford it. And so I did the Enneagram part and I never quit anything, like anything. (laughs) And I quit the program because I was like, I don't, coaching is like rah, rah, me or goals, (laughs) like not into it. You think like Tony Robbins. This so this program he was one of the partners. Of that no was, way. He yeah. So Tony Robbins level like. Whoa. Yes. And no they have a picture with him on the website. Yes. <laughs> so um, there are better programs out there. I will say. Um, <laughs> but I quit, and then one day I found myself six hours into like filling out this application form for this thing that I didn't search or look. It was just like, do you ever have something where you just was on the internet and I was just filling out a form and I don't know how I got there. I literally downloaded an app for wallpaper earlier today. So like, yeah, I get it. Okay. So like that, (laughs) it was like wallpaper downloading. It was like, what I was, then it got to like, now make a video for your application. I was like, what What? am I doing? This is too much. (laughs) And it was for this amazing um, fellowship program called the Coaching Fellowship, Women Leaders of Impact. And I applied for it. And then after I applied for it, I did some research and like, <laughs> what is this that I just applied for? Right. And it was really cool. And I was like, oh, I'll never get picked because it's for like thought leaders and people who start nonprofits in Africa. Mm. And I did <laughs> and I get picked. I am none of those. <laughs> I am none of those. I'm a stay-at-home mom, artist, plunking away at a novel. Yeah. <laughs> And I got picked and I got this amazing coach named Janice who sounds like Glennon Doyle and <laughs> is like, if Glennon Doyle had another sister, not just sister, but she had another one. Yeah. Janice? It would be Janice. <laughs> and she was the most amazing coach. And I thought she was going to like change my career trajectory. And she was like, why don't you want to talk about your marriage? <laughs> Whoa. So she changed my life. She was that's awesome, amazing. And so then I went back and finished my coaching certification and kind of made a bet with the universe of like, okay, I'll try this thing out. Let's see what happens. And right. I love it. I love coaching. That's awesome. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So when this process started, what was it like when you got your first client? Um, it was, I mean, full body sweating. <laughs> <laughs> For the first client, all all of my clients, this is something I did not expect. I, I fully expected it to be like friends and referrals through friends. It has all been through social media. Wow. So everybody huh. has been 
all they're all over the world, all on Zoom and uh, over the phone. So, I mean, I've done stuff now, like before pre-pandemic, is doing groups and things, but mostly I do on the phone, so they can't see me sweat, which is <laughs> great on my end. <sighs> and as a five, my process has kind of evolved to where at the beginning I felt like I had to know everything, and now I'm able to go to that eight gut space right? and sort of drop down into, like I do all of the prep, I do all of the learning and that's all still up there. But when I can sort of drop into my body and that sense of calm and show up for somebody, mm-hmm. it just magic happens. And I, and it, it's not, it's hard and it's fun and we laugh and we cry and we do hard things and we do easy things and I just really enjoy being in a space with other people. I love stories and learning about people and the Enneagram. We a lot of times focus on the Enneagram, but it also goes into so many different areas because I am like also a life coach. So it, we move into lots of different places and um, I really, really enjoy it. Oh. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. I like that, especially the the language for finding that like gut instinct for showing up for the individual in front of you. Yeah. yeah. And not just like regurgitating a bunch of book knowledge because there's a yeah. bunch of fun book knowledge yeah, to be had. I think just learning about all the like subtypes was a huge revelation to me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can go down. It's so complex. <laughs> I, I'm curious. What is your favorite hot take for the ooh, Enneagram? Ooh. Ooh. What's my favorite hot take? Um... I, as an observer and somebody who's worked with some of the masters in different camps. Sure. There's like different Enya camps, <laughs> we could say. Totally. Like, and usually they're all nice to each other, but sometimes they can be a bit snippy. And I've worked with a couple of different, you know, the narrative and um, Russ Hudson and a couple of different groups of people. Mm-hmm. I find value in all of them. And so I guess my hot take is to gather the knowledge and wisdom from all mm-hmm. instead of just going – because I think you know there's something fantastic about the narrative tradition of the, they get people in panels and you learn stuff through storytelling and like seeing five fives in front of you or five eights, <laughs> you know, right. and how they differ and what's the same and what's going – and so that's so – cool, but it's not the only way, right. you know? So I think that's my hot take is that I'm loyal to none, but loyal to all. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I love that. You know, I find as an eight that I tend to lean towards being friends with people that are either in my, like my health or unhealth, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I have a lot mm-hmm. of friends that are twos. And I have a lot of friends that are fives and I, I don't deviate from that <laughs> very often outside mm-hmm. of well, like you're just naturally my, attracted yeah. to, right? Yeah. So yeah, I love that having conversation sense. with fives. I love eights. It's some of my, <laughs> some of so my much. favorite conversations I've had with fives, <laughs> including. Well, we one. as a collective, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as an Enneagram coach, if you get a client and you're like they want to focus specifically on the Enneagram or like mm-hmm. say they don't 
know what Enneagram number they are, like first time ever Enneagram person, what would that look like? Uh, like in conversation with you, like what would a an appointment with you look like? Um, that would be a typing session. So I wouldn't do any sort of other coaching mm-hmm. if they were like, I want to know my Enneagram and I don't know very much about it. I tend to a lot of times ask questions about energy, mm. um, about bodily sensations, about time orientation, about how, you know, there's the triads of withdrawing, compliant, and assertive. So right. I might give examples of situations. How would you respond to that? <laughs> I ask about stress and health to kind of see how they move. Right. Because I think the Enneagram is all about movement and incorporating the fact that we're humans into like the whole thing. Right. And then usually by the end, I have, you know, it depends. I've gone, I've gone over by an hour. Uh, I can remember <laughs> one session and at the end was like, well, I was like, I think that you're this number, but I feel a lot of energetic, like that you really want to be this number. Right. And, but what I also hear is that this issue over here is really a big deal. So instead of worrying about the Enneagram, I would just like say, don't worry about the Enneagram for now and go work with your therapist on this issue because this seems more pressing. Absolutely. And then having that person kind of come back later um, and be like, oh, guess what? Like, (laughs) wow. You know, so sometimes, and sometimes it's between two numbers and I'll say, go live as this one first. And pay attention to your stress and health. Right. See if it really resonates. And then take another couple of weeks and go live as that other one and watch your stress and health and see how that resonates. Right. Sometimes I'm able to be like, this is, I I really have a strong feeling that this is your type. And sometimes the subtype, wing, you know? Yeah. And, but it has to resonate. I can't tell somebody what their insides are. So I will always say, this is what I'm hearing and, and, you know, seeing if we're on Zoom. Um, Because body language, and That's energy plays important. into it yeah. so much. And then say, go ahead and live with that for a while and see how that feels to you. Right. I like that. That's Dixie, cool. you had a question like literally this week. Yeah, I did. I'll just ask. You don't have to Please worry about do. It. Um, well, it's like kind of like a two-part question. First, the first question is where do you land on the idea that like you are not a specific type, you are dominant in a specific type? Uh, yes. <laughs> You agree with this. (laughs) Like, so do you know Jerome, Dr. Jerome Love? I Uh, I don't think so. He does the whole brain Enneagram, I believe. Hmm. It's a very thin book, but he sort of is a pioneer of that with brain, with neuroscience um, backing it up. I would say we have all of us, all of the types within us. Mm -hmm. And to me and to a lot of people, your type is a set of patterns of thought, emotion, and bodily energy and spirit, if you believe in spirit, although sometimes spirit could be disassociated from that as more mm-hmm. like essence, that are survival mechanisms. And so that is your dominant way of dealing with life. Right. And so the point of the Enneagram is to see this is my dominant patterned survival mechanisms. And I will tend to be that for the rest of my life. Your Enneagram number doesn't really change. But in being aware of them, I can then choose other things. Moving out of type 
And then when you do that, I think you have much more connection to the other numbers. Like I've been in a job interview and been like, all right, let's get some three energy going on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I don't identify as a three. I don't think like a three. It's mm-hmm. more a conscious choice to to incorporate that energy that, that I do have inside, but it's not my... So it's like, I, I believe that we have all... I don't know if I'm making any sense. Does no, make this sense? makes total sense. Okay, cool. <laughs> Definitely following. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was telling Stephen a little bit earlier this week that like, I, I'm definitely an eight. Like I feel eight deep in my bones, but I definitely feel that my dominant number kind of gets overshadowed by like my secondary number, which I understand to be a four. Okay. So So is that like you're talking about tri types? Yeah. Okay. And I I'm, don't do tri types. So <laughs> okay. but a lot of people find it really helpful. Right. So if that's helpful to you, then I say go with it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I've just found sometimes that like when I'm in my health as an eight I really lean into that too mm-hmm. space. Um, and then sometimes I just feel like the the four takes over in my body. And it might be an ADHD thing. And I don't know, but <laughs> oh. but like sometimes I really feel that that four energy. What qualities of the four energy do you feel? Um, well, I <sighs> It's definitely more the like the desire to be be seen like artistically um, Mm -hmm. and like feeling different from everybody else like that, Mm -hmm. like that desire to be something else, something that nobody else has been that like that kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. It's hard to explain it when I'm not like actively feeling it. But like, did you have a, a a part of your growing up experiences, or in your current life situation where your job or profession or what you'd like to be seen are not seen and understood? I honestly no. I definitely like whenever I've had a job or like profession that I've been doing, it's always something that like I've wanted to do, and I get to the point where like. I'm doing it because I'm good at it. And like, this yeah. is the way you like, it's very control oriented. Yeah. Like yeah. I make a point to be like, I am going to be the manager of this thing <laughs> before, before mm-hmm. I've been here a year. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the top guy. My sister's an eight. I'm like, you should just, you need to only interview for top level roles. Like, I don't understand why you don't. Like, Like, I only want to be a director. Like, I don't You will be that in a month. Like, yeah. Yeah. Literally every job I've had, it's like, okay, you're entry level. And then by the end of the month, I am the manager. That checks. Very eight. Yeah. So I don't really feel that like in, in jobs. It like, I feel like it might just be like, a mingling of my of me going to my two space that like desire to be loved I guess I don't know any other way of describing it but it just doesn't feel very eight of me sometimes (laughs) does it feel like a desire to have somebody see you and know you and take care of you instead of you taking care of everybody else yes definitely sometimes 
Because yeah. <laughs> eights are the face. ones that. <laughs> that's like, eights, yes. <laughs> that just made me start crying. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, because eights wow. have these tender, tender little um, inner childs and hearts that they hide. Yeah, and it really hurts when you put so much intention and love and care into being a protector in a myriad of ways for everybody that you come in contact with. And then there are times where that emotionality comes out and it's like, well, but who sees me? Who, who cares about my vulnerable feelings? Who, (laughs) who will let me cry? Who will even ask me like, are you doing okay? Oh my god. <laughs> That's very common for eights. Wow. Very, okay. Very well, wow. I'm just an eight then. We literally just had a situation with our family where it got to the point where I was like, "Why don't you care about me?" Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well, That's well, that's quite the, the answer, reframe then yeah. about the question answer. The four question. Yeah. Yeah. It could, you know, that's again, it that's just my take. If it if you if tri-types are really helpful for you, then go with the four energy. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not really like saying one is right and one is wrong. It's whatever right. makes you feel it, the best. And it could very much just be like, I feel that because I'm a very artistic person and artistic qualities are kind of placed on fours in a lot of yeah, cases. Which is a stereotype. Yeah, like it's a yeah. very heavy stereotype. Like you can't be an artist if you're not a four. It's like, no, yeah. but I am. So <laughs> Yeah, I should be a scientist. I'm a five, right? And yeah. I should be the president, probably. Exactly. Well, you know. should be the president. Right? <laughs> that would be very bad. Yeah. Very, very bad for everyone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tri-type yeah. is the idea that you kind of stack the like three, maybe maybe from different triads or just really three any numbers right in my understanding you take yeah from each triad it's like the dominant of each triad gotcha yeah so like i would i would be honestly it would probably be like eight four five for me Hmm. if you were going through yeah try type but Mm-hmm. I don't know much about that. That's interesting. I or honestly I don't know that five. much about it either. I I'm so comfortable yeah. in so I'm social one is where <laughs> okay. I sit. Okay. And I feel I I feel so comfortable in that space. I've never been curious about like the tri type in the sense of like, yeah, but maybe there's some three in there or whatever. It's like, yeah, no, one is pretty strong for me. I I was curious to ask and we're risking this just becoming a full-blown coaching session i guess i do have a question do you ever take clients as couples or partners i know (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not necessarily opposed to it i haven't yet but i've actually been thinking through that so my husband and i used to before we knew anything and we were young and dumb frankly we used to be relationship columnists for oh wow uh relevant magazine wow way back in the day and a couple other places so we used to write together about relationships and then we had a foster kid and a baby and i was like oh yeah and we were getting very hard edits of being like squeaky clean and i was like this is not real life we're, you know like i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> wow <laughs> my husband is a 3 so he was like what's wrong and i'm like this is not the authentic truth i'm this out this is not real <laughs> it's not real so 
but we, but we have been together so long, like, you know, I'm sure you guys that now it feels like people come and ask us stuff Mm -hmm. and we don't have the right answers. And we're not like, Oh, we succeeded. (laughs) We mostly tell stories of how we failed like (laughs) hard. And then people are like, that's really helpful. So I've been thinking through couples and whether or not I'd be open to that. It's sort of TBD. Yes. At this this point in time. Interesting. I I imagine it would become quite the Twitter thread or the Twitter series for you to interrogate. Like, here's what a romantic relationship between a one and an eight look like. And then a one and a seven. And you just go like through every combination and pair bonds. That would be quite interesting. That'd be a lot of tweets. I don't hear a lot <laughs> of, of all the podcasts or books, you know, like listening to Ian Cron or Suzanne Stabile or anything like I, I think I've only ever encountered an interview or even a conversation about a one and an eight being in relationship, which to Dixie and I, we just find as like a very electric space is how yeah, I want to describe I it. I bet. I bet there's a lot of energy. Yeah. So when you hear that there's an that there's a one and an eight relationship here what what kind of things come to your mind of like be careful of this and also this might end up being your superpower i would want to be a fly on the wall for your fights because ones i would think know what's right and an eight will just fight you to death whether they're right or not (laughs) and so it's like no one's backing down i would assume i think we fight good well, I'm glad you think so. I, I honestly think we do too. I think. So tell, what is a good fight then? Because I'm, I'm <laughs> describing an unhealthy fight. So what would be an example of a healthy fight for you guys? Mm. I want him to describe it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a, a specific like instance, but I think the ones, the disagreements we come away with feeling the best is when one of us decides to make the first move toward like, well, for me, admitting that I could be wrong because coming into something, I, I usually assume that, of course, mine is the right way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess I'll put it on me. I think that our best fights come when when I'm able to say out loud, yeah, I think I could totally be wrong about this, but this is how I feel about it right now. I you think know? it's the same on both of us. It's honestly. probably just a humility question of like who can get there first, right? <laughs> yeah. Frame it as a game. Yeah. It's a race of humility. That and I enjoy. Because you're a risk. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy like not fighting, but like the, you know, argument. You like the sparring. Like, 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 yeah, just having the conversation and like getting to the point where like, oh, yeah, no, I am wrong, but like, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that might be a big negative for him because like, I enjoy fighting. And he's like, please, let's never fight. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Which is a thing a lot of partners of eights say. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> for, for most other numbers that are partnered with eights. And uh, my sister is an eight. And I am pretty sure my son is an eight. For <laughs> that reason, mostly. Of like, when he's bored, he fights. When he's happy, he fights. When yeah. he's sad, he fights. When he's just like, let's do something fun, he fights. Let's just and it's argue. Like, okay, yeah, just to. And then when you're done, it's like almost this energetic of like, that was great. Like, let's let's move on. Yeah, you're like, whoa. <laughs> and everybody else is like, God, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm exhausted. He's like, you want to go again? <laughs> like, I can pick something else wow. to fight about. Wow. Yeah. 
What I heard though was like vulnerability for both of you, that Mm -hmm. if you're able to get into a vulnerable space, like for an eight, being able to share feelings and authentically express what's going on. And for a one to be able to say, to get into that gray space more, I would think that would be a really sweet spot where you guys could like meet each other. Right. Yeah. That, that, I think you put, put it exactly right. Superpower would probably be doing things. I bet you guys can do things like no one else and so well and like accomplish whatever. Oh yeah. You put your minds to. We, yeah. If we get, if we get an idea, we're like, okay, this is how we're doing it. And it's done. And it's done, which is And it also helps that I have ADHD. So. (laughs) So do you hyper, so then you can hyper focus? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Tell me your idea. I will finish it in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you for this therapy session. I'm going to go cancel my therapy for next week. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) No, keep your therapy session. We'll keep that. Well, Well, if you ever decide to do couples coaching, we will volunteer as tributes. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'll keep you on the the TBD list. I like that. You're listening to our interview with Melissa Kircher, and we will be right back. If you'd like to connect with us on the social medias, you can do so at NoPeoplePod, that's K-N-O-W, PeoplePod, on Instagram and Twitter. And while you're on the internet tapping around on your phone, you might as well head over to your podcast app that you're probably listening to this, like right now. And if you can leave a review, this is for the Apple Podcasts and Spotify people, Please leave us a five-star rating and a couple-sentence review to help other people find the show. And once again, if it's under three stars, I'm not interested. That's true. (laughs) It's actually true. If you have, like, the constructive feedback that requires a one or two stars, you can email at us at our contact. I'll give you my personal email. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Text me, bro. Five stars, please. Because we like feeling gratified. Honestly, if you made it this far into the episode and you're going to leave a one star review, that seems like a you problem. (laughs) What that does mean is that they're here for Melissa. And honestly, I'm okay with that because so am I. That's fair. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Dixie, you and I have done interviews. We've done like 75 of these things. What? Isn't that crazy? Oh, my gosh. And we would like to personally suggest that you go back in our archive and listen to our episode with Nathan Fordham. Nathan! That's episode 27. Let's get back to Melissa. Um, You somehow just kind of snuck it in there a while back that you were just like working out a novel at the same time that your family kind of became instant family? Yes. Yeah. I want to know everything about your uh your writing and like what you write what you've put out and where that love came from um it i've just always so i'm a five and i hide in books i think i thought it was a four for a year partially because of that mm. um i would just get lost in stories i read so much i read so much <laughs> that i will get a book from the library and get halfway through and be like oh i've already read this because I just what? You forgot you read it. Really? It happens all the time. Like I consume so much, not just like nonfiction, like fiction. Like so when we were waiting for 
licensing, it was like a while and I had started quitting. I was a freelancer. So I started quitting some of my freelance stuff to like make room for kiddo. So I had some more free time and I was friends with this woman whose husband at the time had written a New York Times bestseller and he was on Oprah's book club. So we were talking about, we kind of became friends because of that because mm-hmm. they went to our, my husband's church. And um, she was like, we were nerding out about, I think it was Divergent at that point. Like we were talking about <laughs> Veronica Roth right. and and she was like, you have to write a book. And I was like, I can't write a book. She's like, of course you can. And I was like, no, I can't. She was like, yes, you can. So then I sat down and wrote a Just book. do it. <laughs> like a golem and like, you know, and I loved it. And then I just kept writing them while I had littles. Like every time they napped, I would just write. And they napped really well. So I wrote a lot. That's awesome. And I started um, when we wrote for Relevant and a, a different publishing. And I had done a copywriter for a publishing house for a while um, in the business section. So I had some writing under my belt, um, but I'd never done fiction. So honestly, self-taught and and still have so much to learn. Wow. And I started getting indie book deals. So I had a, a little little bit there. And then my kids stopped napping. And then that was a whole thing. How rude. And then the pandemic kind of hit. And so I've I've taken a hiatus. So I'm just now getting back into novels and querying and all that and trying to find an agent and all that kind of Oh wow. Stuff. That's awesome. What a process. Yeah. It's a lot of work. You work to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You're our so, second uh young adult Enneagram five author. Really? On the show. That's yeah. neat. I love it. Her name is Ashley Martin, if you'd ever like to reach out. Oh, I'm writing it down right now. Oh wait, she's Written. a one. That's okay. That's okay. She I could be okay. friends with one. She's oh yeah, absolutely. she has five energy. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I love her so much. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I just love stories. I'm obsessed, and oh, they yeah, can come course. in any form. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I just i i just get sucked into other worlds, and same with movies and TV shows, and I just and people. That's mm-hmm. you know yeah. it goes right into coaching and art. You know when you. When I paint or draw, I have to have music on and I have a vibe going. And so it's, I think, in essence, some kind of story that you're telling. So stories are huge. Do you listen to audiobooks or audio dramas or anything like that? I I listen to, I've had to, I don't listen to audiobooks at all. Podcasting, I have had to give myself boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> I got really obsessed with podcasts. And then I was like, like, if you think like, how can I vacuum more knowledge into my brain while doing other productive things? Right. Oh yeah. So I had to take a little break from podcasts for a while. That's Steven is and getting on the back same page. In. Yeah. He was at like 200 <laughs> podcasts that he was listening to Whoa. regularly. Okay. You beat me. I have to, I have to clarify that some of those are like feeds that have been dead for years. Okay, and some of them are like ten minutes, but that's still two hundred. It's still yeah. a, it's still a good step. I, I you you have the higher ranking. I, I bow down. Well, I'll take it. I wasn't here for the competition, yeah. but I'll take it. Thank you. You can you win. There you go. I want to know about your writing process. You're kind of getting back into it. Like I am obsessed with all the nerdy organizational details of what it takes to put something like a book together. So like. What tools do you use? Are you using Evernote, Scrivener? Do you like to write on paper with a pen when you're starting? Like all, all these questions of the craft. 
I tried Scrivener and I didn't like it. Hmm. I do, if I wrote on paper, you'd never read. I have the worst handwriting <laughs> of all time. Have to decipher it. <laughs> it I, no one could. <laughs> I like rewrote the quote so that it, like it's more neat now, so I can read it. Oh, great! <laughs> so my process is oddly enough, a lot of my book ideas come in dreams. I will dream almost like a full length movie. Whoa. So I have so many ideas, which is why it was annoying that the kids happened at the same time as the book writing, because I have a notebook filled with like ideas and a lot of them are dreams that I've had. So I have a notebook that I just have with ideas and as much of the dream or idea as I can remember. And then when I go to write it, I am a plotter a thousand percent. So I will have like usually about 20 pages of single spaced outline. Wow. And nice. I get it all out. And then I go to write it. And then <laughs> I've learned my emotional process is I love the first half of the book and I'm so jazzed and I can get it done really fast. Then we get into like the doldrums of the middle where I go completely off of my outline that is beautifully written <laughs> and get lost in a complex maze in which I go, that lasts for a good couple of months. And I, I mope and I <laughs> overthink everything and I ponder in the shower for forever. And then I go back to the outline and then I go, oh, okay. And I tap the threads and then I will have a good chunk of time right before the end where I think all of the bad thoughts that you could ever think about right. yourself. Like, why did I write? Who like, am I? Why terrible. was I born? <laughs> yeah. Like, why? But it gets into existential. Like, yeah. Who am I as a being? How do we like, even live? Exactly. <laughs> and then I push through that and then I get to the end and I look at it and I'm like, okay, that's not so bad. That's so that's like my process. every Tuesday for me. <laughs> wow. And then you go and you edit. Right. At forever. And then yeah. you query and then you get a bunch of rejection letters. And if you're lucky, you get a really nice one. And eventually <laughs> my goal is to get an agent. So mm. that's awesome. Mm. Yeah. Uh, how do you think of, about your relationship to rejection as a concept now, having gone through that a couple of times? Um, I have a naturally thick skin. Um, I think it helped that early on when I just started out, I got good rejection letters from really big agents. Mm. So I was like, let's go big or go home. Right. And I got really personalized, like, you're a good writer. Keep going. Keep doing this. I want to see your next project type type things from some like really well-known agents. Oh, nice. I think though that I had to, same thing with art. I mean, it's just mostly rejection. Yeah. I I just keep going. I would keep putting it out. Keep, like nobody could ever accuse me of not trying. Yeah. I think during the pandemic, I actually had to go through an emotional process of realizing that that hurt, that I think that's why I even mm-hmm. blame it on the naps. But I think after a while, it got to me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And I went to school for both of these things. And, you know, my main job is being an Enneagram coach and I love it, but I also am an artist and a writer. And so the creative, being a success in the creative world is butt in the chair, but it also is luck, you know, right. and timing. And yeah, so I had right. to really feel the feelings of being rejected and feel feel the hurt because I don't think I did for a long time. Mm. And now I feel like in a very reasonable place about it where I can admit, wow, that stung, but we're still <laughs> going to go back out and do it again. Kind of thing. I'm curious <laughs> to just touch on 
the the books you have out right now? I know you have the Horizons trilogy. Yes. Well, two of the trilogy. I need to finish the last one. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That which is outlined and I have the beginning started. <laughs> In the but that's yeah. good. That's when the kids hit. Yeah. Oh. Okay, I see yeah. how that works. I see and the timing. It's, it's going to happen. I have a lot of works in progress. Yeah, I have that. I have, um, what's it called? <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> I don't remember what my own books like, are. I know I wrote so, it, but like, what I, is it? <laughs> I, I was also curious to ask if the the way you wrote Dream On. Dream On, that's what I was thinking of. That's, is that, thank you for knowing my book. What, <laughs> <does> that, <laughs> was, was that a way for you to kind of like write about your own experience of dreams at the same time of putting it into a different character? Because you dream a lot of stories, it sounds like. It was a little bit of both. I actually had a dream about that, oh, about dreaming. Amazing. I had a dream, dream about, about dreaming. dreaming. <laughs> but then as I was writing it, it was able to... It's turtles all the way down. It was kind of like if somebody had some kind of genetic ability to hop into dreams and move around in dreams, mm. Ooh. Um, what that would kind of be. Ooh. Like and Inception, but less terrifying? Yeah. And I, you know, I was a new author. I, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still learning the craft. I'm right. still learning how to write. I still have lots to do. So that was, I got a publisher for that. It was an indie, an indie publisher, an independent publisher. And I and really, so if I had to pick between self-publishing, indie publishing, traditional, because I've done all three, I liked indie and I liked traditional. I love working with publishers. Like if mm. someone else will edit and tell me, Ooh, here's what yeah. you need to change. Right. I am the best. Like agents, publishers, anybody listening? Like I'll be your favorite <laughs> author because I'm so great with that process. I'm not picky. You're like, this is wrong. And I'm like, okay, how do we fix it? Okay. How do we make the story better? Let's go. That's so good. Yeah. As long as I don't have to pick it all apart anymore. <laughs> I'll do whatever yeah. you say. Just please publish yeah. my book. Yeah, so Dream On was like the YA kind of paranormal love story, but was incorporating some of that that dreaming stuff that's weird that I have. That that's exciting. The one that stuck out to me on your website, both in cover design and uh, subject matter, certainly, was The Endless Story. Yeah. Would you talk about that book a little bit? Yeah, I love that book. That book <laughs> makes me so happy. And it's about death. Um, <laughs> So I have two kids and this must have been 2017. My daughter was, I think, I don't remember. She was little, but she could talk. She, we were, my husband was traveling and she's fantastic. She is her own human that I just don't know how came from me. Um, <laughs> she's just gregarious and says whatever she wants and is sunshine. Like, and she climbed into my lap and plopped down and said, Mom, does everybody die? Whoa. <laughs> and I, I think she was like right. <laughs> three or four, like little. Right. I think three, maybe. And I looked at her and all I had in that moment was like, I literally said this out loud to her. I was like, do you want me to lie or tell you the truth? <laughs> wow. That's what I said to my like three-year-old. I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> It just caught me so off guard. I mean, this is a kid that like asked about sex at age five and of we course. had the sex talk at five. So, I mean, death at three, sex at five, like she's just, she's she knows on, all the stuff. She's on track. Death. Yeah. Probably, so she know. said, I want you to tell me the truth. And I said, well, yeah. 
everybody does die. And so then she demanded, she went through all of our people. Does Yaya die? Does Appa die? You know, does Miss Debbie die? You know, I'm like, yep, do you die? And then, so, and then my son was in the room and he had one of my sketchbooks and just found a red marker and I wasn't watching him and took a red marker while we were having this discussion and drew red all over my sketchbook. So he was obviously having feelings as well. (laughs) And so I just was like, I, I looked for books about death and dying and the whole thing. And I couldn't really find, there was the invisible string. I think that was out. And I just really wanted to write one that was not that talked about the afterlife but wasn't faith-based that sort of Mm. gave like the timeline-ish in general ways of like what happens to your body scientifically like the life process and then like what happens after what do different people think about it what does your family think about it like ask questions in the book and then to also have like How do we remember people? How do we incorporate like the fact that the story is endless because these people live with us in our hearts, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we die and then we live with other people in their hearts. And so like, what do different cultures do and families do to remember people? So I was like, how can I do this in one book? And so I did shop it around to agents. And at the time, nobody was interested in, in a children's picture book about death. (laughs) <laughs> very emphatically like no way and so I was like I'm just gonna write it I was like I'm just gonna write it and I'm just gonna illustrate it and I'm just gonna make it and I'll put it out there and I didn't really even promote it like in the self-publishing world you promote but I didn't I just I made something that I really wanted to make and I was really passionate about it and I mm. loved the end result and it just made me happy and then mm. it's had this weird a couple of people saw it it kind of got out into some circles Got some good feedback, but it was very much a self-published, you know, it lived its little life and that was fine. But then the pandemic happened and it just started selling and selling and selling. And I started getting emails and messages and DMs. And I was just like, so, and it, they're so satisfying from people who are like, we identify as Christian and this really helped. I'm an atheist and I loved this and I'm an adult and I read this to my kid and I ended up sobbing. And so it's like, it feels so satisfying to make something and have it be what what I wanted it to be was helpful. Right. And to hear that it is helping people makes me so full of joy, That's... even with a very hard topic. Like, no, I didn't want the pandemic to happen and, and all these people. Right. But if what I made was helpful in dealing with that, that's what is, it's so satisfying. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. I can't even imagine how good that must have felt. It really does. It makes me, I'm beaming right now. <laughs> just when I talk about it, it just is so satisfying deep in my soul. Mm. So, mm. yeah, That's awesome. Wow. I'm curious to know what you do for hobbies. Um, I don't have a lot of time for hobbies, <laughs> but I love to swim. I, I would just be in the water all the time. I love to swim. Mm-hmm. I love to be outdoors and hike. So when I have time, I'm just usually outside being physical and moving my body. Delightful. Right. Do you like to follow any particular morning or evening routines? Well, I have to follow an evening routine for sanity's sake. (laughs) 
with my kids, right. but it's for me. I'm a self-preservation five. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if all of the things are not in their place by the end of the day and I haven't cleaned up the kitchen or like the downstairs area, I can't relax. So that's my like nightly thing is to wow. make dinner, yeah. clean up dinner and then vacuum everything so that tomorrow I don't have like tasks to do so I can do all my thinking and fun projects and work and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But in the morning, I'm not a morning person. My husband is amazing. He does mornings <laughs> and I sort of roll out of bed like a grump and help with all the, the end of the morning stuff. Same. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I sleep through it and say hello to my kids yeah. at the end of the school day. It's just where we're at. <laughs> um, I- I'm curious to know if you have any pets and if so, would you tell us about them and their personalities? I do not have any pets, but I'm such a dog person, specifically dachshunds. <gasps> I love dachshunds. Delightful. We have a dachshund lab. You mix. do? She's just a really- Wait, wait, wait. You have a dachshund lab? Yeah. yeah. I had a dachshund lab. <laughs> oh. She's a chocolate mini dachshund That's lab. That's what I had. And her name's Duck. Um, oh, mine was Taffy. She's I would so love much. her. Yeah, she's a perfect <laughs> little princess so that we much. rescued from the shelter mm-hmm. in, back in September, and oh. it's been the best. Yeah, my heart just we're melted. Like, we're like sold on dachshunds now. Like they're the best. Our, like we will either do a dachshund lab mix or a dachshund or lab. Like that's yeah. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> yes, and probably in that's favor so of the dachshund cool. over the lab if yeah. we were going purebred because of size. Right. Size. Yeah. Size is important. Thing. It's also that really very goofy, toothy grin they get. Oh my gosh, I love them so much. Yes. Yeah. And they're so devious. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. They're so smart and funny. Oh. And yeah. Yeah. I just have two kids, and that's an, and they're like again fireballs. So yeah. that's so good. I've told them I will pay for therapy when you're older that we didn't get a dog, and I will also dog sit your dogs when you're yeah. older. Aww. Anytime you want. Anytime. But right now, I have I have what I can handle, but I'm very much a dog person. That's, and I that's love what my mom dogsit. says, too. So like cool. She'll dog sit for us all the time. I love Whatever. that. And I mean it. I will do it. I just don't want one right now. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Why? You're not even busy. Yeah. At all. I'm not busy at all. I have so much free time. <laughs> so this is a huge question for you, but I'm curious to know what you're currently reading. Um, do you want one book or do you, are you a multiple book right at now. a time person? I, all, yeah, always. I, I want them all. If you can list them. I'm currently reading, I'll go Enneagram first, Enneagram guide to waking up. Hmm. Oh. I'm reading. The Way of Rest by Jeff Foster, which that's kind of a, maybe that's part of a nightly routine that mm. they're like little snippets oh, okay. kind of thing. You just read little essays. I'm reading 101 Trauma-Informed Interventions. Wow. Um, a New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And then I just finished, not the whole thing because she snuck in and not, she's going to do another book, but the Dark Shores series. It's a YA series. And also- mm. The second book, there was a book called The Inheritance Games. Mm. The second book is called The Hawthorne Legacy. And it's really cool. It's a YA series, but it's like a puzzle. I I haven't read a book exactly like it. The Inheritance Games was really good. It was like your mind was in a puzzle. Kind of like a murder mystery meets an actual puzzle. Right. It was just like a whole thing that I was like, this is different. And I. It's like a choose your own adventure 
but kind of, <laughs> but you do, you're so, you're, you're pulling all these little pieces together and it's like a treasure hunt in there. And it's like all these little things that, and I couldn't figure it out. Nice. So now I'm on to book two. Amazing. <laughs> Gotta I'm invested solve it. emotionally. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Gotta figure it out. <laughs> I love, I love a fives reading list. That's fantastic. It's endless. Um, <laughs> what are you currently watching? Any shows you're in the middle of or movies you've recently seen? We just finished Foundations. I forget what it's called. It's on HBO Max. Mm. It's just so good. Um, watched Love is Blind. I'm waiting for Ted Lasso to come back. I'm right. waiting for Bridgerton. Oh like, my gosh, I'm so excited. I just saw the trailer for Bridgerton. I know. And I'm waiting dying. That. Like It needs to be the 25th. <laughs> Now I know. I thought it was the beginning of the month. So then I, when I found out it was the end, I, know. I was very upset. Very. And then upset. we're in the middle of all the Marvel movies with the kids. Of course. Excellent. So that's in movies. That's what we're like rewatching all of them with the, with the kiddos and dissecting it all of them. That's well, awesome. that that series just keeps getting longer and longer. So. I know. With TV shows too. Plenty yeah. of stuff to work on. I really held out against the TV shows, and then I watched WandaVision, and I was oh. like, oh. "Okay, that I to give up." Start with right. that one is it's like art. I'm just, like, right? I was yeah. like, "That's my dream job." If I could be a writer in a room on that kind of yes. a show, I don't need to be the writer, just a writer, a writer. I don't oh. even need to write anything. I just want to be there. Be there. <laughs> I was like, fine, Marvel. You can do whatever <laughs> yeah. you want. The only one I'll I couldn't s- get into was the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, I the, didn't I, watch that one. That one I, I watched Hawkeye and loved it. Oh, yeah. But I didn't. I had no interest in that one. So. <laughs> yeah. Same. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> what are you currently listening to? Let's start with music. Oh, that's also hard. Oh, I mean, so I listen to music. I think a lot of fives do this. I... I listen to, I scroll till I find a song that helps me emote what I need to emote in any given moment. Yes. Mm, yes. So I, do <laughs> I don't listen to specific bands or specific albums. Like I'll download the whole thing on Apple, to, like, but I don't, I'm not like a tap. You know, some people are all about the bands and the artists. Mm-hmm. I just need whatever is I'm listening to to help me get out what I need to get out. Yeah. Find the vibe. Um, I do the, the same thing. I, I build playlists specifically around like yep. what makes me feel a specific way. Yes. <laughs> like I have a playlist specifically for when it's raining. Oh, that I, I love only that. listen to when it's raining. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'll look at what I just, I, so I, my recent is uh, Bastille. Um, yeah. Dua Lipa, Billie Eilish, Florence and the Machine. I love Dua Lipa. The Ballroom Thieves, <laughs> T Swift. I mean, obviously, of course. Um, the Vitamin String Quartet, which yeah. is cool. Halsey, Encanto. Do you, oh, yeah. Are you just looking at like my Spotify recently played? Because like you're just <laughs> listing everything that I listen yeah. to. <laughs> Excellent. Very yeah. nice. What about pod? Are you still on a break from podcasts, or I'm I'm allowing myself a couple here and there. <laughs> what What are those shows then? Well, I just found this new one called No Normal People. That's what? pretty great. No, spectacular. Thank you. I don't know if you've heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> yes, I like I like that one. I've listened to a couple episodes. Um, I listened to uh, Typology, Enneagram for Idiots, Super Soul, Robcast. 
um, On Being with Krista Tippett, Mm -hmm. Glennon's We Can Do Hard Things, Mm -hmm. um, a writing one called The Manuscript Academy, um, and Other People's Problems. That's a good one. Ah, with Dr. Hillary McBride. Yeah, with Hillary McBride. What a gift she is. My good, my word. She (laughs) is super cool. Super cool person. She was recently just a guest on Emily P. Freeman's podcast, The Next Right Thing. And Mm -hmm. that was like the crossover. I didn't know I needed it until I needed it. And then they had me me in tears by the end of it. It was beautiful. (laughs) I got to go to, um, I did some artwork for her for a book release party that for her, the mothers and daughters and body image. Oh yeah. Wow. And her and Lisa Gunger have this amazing retreat that they do call the sacred feminine. And somebody had backed out of last minute. So she, and I had expressed interest. So she emailed me. So I got to go last minute, like a couple of years ago. Oh wow. And go on this retreat where and just being in her presence and with Lisa and it was just so life changing. Yeah, that's a that's a peak experience right there. It was so cool. And all the women that came and just it was really, really cool. Wow. It was really cool. Wow. I special. love that. My final question for you, Melissa, is what does the word normal mean to you? I think I want everybody to feel that who they are is normal. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like Whatever you bring to the table, whatever your background is, whatever you're struggling with, we're all humans. And so that makes everything normal. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like fours have to get to Enneagram fours where they have to sort of make peace with you are special and so is everybody else. Right. It's like you're normal and so is everybody else. Also, we're all incredibly unique and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so both things should be celebrated. Wow. That's very good. I think you put that perfectly. That is beautiful. I love that. This has been a delight for you to be on this show, Melissa. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I'm so glad our Twitter paths crossed. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it so much. Yeah, and I'm just going to go and spend all of our money buying all of your books. Um, (laughs) remember i'm still learning how to write novels that is still a work in progress i I don't even care (laughs) like it came from your head so i'm like yes i'm sold let's go (laughs) so speaking of speaking of those twitter paths um would you tell our listeners everywhere they can find you on the internet if they want to chat with you Twitter and Instagram and um, website are all the same for Enneagram stuff, which is Enneagram Paths, P-A-T-H-S. So it's at Enneagram Paths for Twitter and Instagram and then www.enneagrampaths.com. And then it's just my name for all art and writing stuff. Um, So Melissa Kircher, K-I-R-C-H-E-R. That's how you can, if you Google me, that's my instagram and twitter and also my website delightful thank you so much would you close us out by reading our favorite quote for the show yes the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well ah dixie wasn't that free coaching nice (laughs) I always love it when I can get free coaching. Listen, you know what Melissa has proved to me is that, I mean, it's something I've known about this show all the time. My favorite thing about 
inviting people to be on the show, one of the ways I encourage people who are nervous is to say, we're just talking about you and you are the world's leading expert on yourself because everyone likes talking about themselves. That's not what my therapist would say. And okay, we can (laughs) dive into that later. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) Melissa got us talking about ourselves. It's true. It felt so good. It's not the first time. It felt, I felt very seen. And I loved it. I can't remember who it was in like the first season that did that too, where we got like halfway through the episode and we were like, why are we talking whoa, whoa, about whoa. us? Yeah. This isn't about me. Yeah. It's about you. That can happen sometimes. Derek. Gosh. What is it with Derek? I don't know. I'm just trying to tra- change it up. It was Craig <laughs> last time and now it's Derek. Okay, That's all deal. I'm saying. Um, Hi, Derek. If you're listening. I have a cousin named Derek. Excellent. Does he listen to the show? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I okay. <laughs> this uh, I don't know. <laughs> I got a question for you, my baby. Okay. And it's complex and deep and well thought out. I spent a lot of time thinking about this you, before we started recording. You mean I get to talk outro. about myself some more? Well, kind of. He says no. with two podcasts. Um no, so this very well thought out question is uh what's your favorite color? My favorite color. Yeah. It's changed. Just answer the question. You're skipping to other questions. When I was little, it was red. No. You're supposed to. What is it now? Oh, orange. Okay. And then what was it when you were little? Red. Bad at following directions. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I didn't have directions. That's fair. What's your favorite color? Thank you for asking. I thought you'd never, ever ask. Reciprocation in is my key life. to communication. Yeah. Currently, today, I have to be specific. Today, it's like a seafoam green. Oh, that's nice. You know, like maybe like an aqua kind of. Sure. More on the green side of the blue spectrum. Mm-hmm. You get it. And my favorite color when I was little was any of them. <laughs> what? Except pink. Hated pink. Was that a real answer that you gave yeah. to like teachers and stuff? Yeah, they would ask all the time. Like it's like the number one, number two question after like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Any of them? And like, literally, <laughs> as a kid, I was like, <laughs> why do I have to have a favorite one? Don't make me choose. Why do I have to have a favorite? Yeah. Like, why can't all of them be great except pink? So my answer was typically all of them or not pink. Okay. And that's still pretty true. I do like pink occasionally. Amazing. Thank you. With the hard-hitting questions. I know. Now that you've jumped into this tepid water with us, thank thank you for, yes. for being here in the wet with me. Thank you for listening to the show. If this is your first time, if I'm you're here- I'm sorry for making a lot of wet comments. <laughs> if you're here because of <laughs> Melissa- We're so glad you are. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Please check out our episodes in the backlog. Our show has evolved ever so slightly over the, oh, geez, almost two years we've been doing this. I don't believe in evolution, Steven. I'm just kidding. All right, well. Anyway, we'll talk about that on your other show. Thank you for joining us. Bye. This is Nightline. You are just, what are you doing? This is Leslie Monster. You are so chaos right now. I'm Leslie Monster and this is Nightline. Okay, bye.
Hey gang, Keller Paulson here. I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Who is this guy? Am I right? Well, I'm the host of Keller's Couch. Now, Keller's Couch is an interview podcast where I, Keller Paulson, interview people I find interesting that are doing cool things in the community. But it's not just that. My friends at Slapstick Improv and myself, we also do some improv comedy and sketch comedy every other episode. So, if this tickles your fancy, why don't you scoot on down pop a squat on Keller's couch. Bye. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.